Welcome to the Rock of Ages Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Duke Backus. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit rockofagesaog.org. We're continuing this message that, that we started a few weeks ago uh, entitled uh, New Season, Same God. And last week, I just quickly just recap, you know, one of the last points that we talked about was we talked about the Lord being worthy of all the praise all the time. Amen? The Lord is worthy of our worship. He's worthy of our praise no matter the day, the hour, the season, the trial. No matter what you face, the Lord is always worthy of our worship. Amen? And, and, and it was uh, uh, fitting that tonight, you know, uh, I could say this, you know, uh, as, a, as a music minister, as a person that's been a musician basically my whole life, worship was a challenge for me. Not because of who Jesus is, but because the enemy always tries to rob us of worshiping God. Amen? I'll say that one more time. Sometimes we have challenges in our, in our, in our uh, time of worship. And in that moment where we're going to step into worship, because the enemy wants to rob you of worship. He wants to stop you before you're able to declare the goodness and faithfulness of God. Why? Because he'll come with distraction. He'll come with, you know, uh, preoccupy our minds. He'll come with things to bring our heart, you know, uh, down to, to discourage us in any way. And there's all sorts of things that the enemy throws at us on a daily basis to ultimately do one thing. And that is to cause the season that you're living in to steal your song. To cause it somehow to, to re- make you retract and, and all of a sudden because you're occupied in your heart and your mind with what you're experiencing and what you're going through and the news that you received and all of these different things that ultimately it will hinder you and it will stop you from giving praise to the living God. The enemy is after our worship. Did you know that? The enemy has an agenda against worship. He has an agenda against the people of God speaking and declaring the truth of the name of Jesus. You see, when you worship God, you're giving him your worth. You're giving him and you're placing on back towards him his value that you hold in your heart. You're giving him what you believe who he is. Amen. And the Bible is very clear. The Bible tells this church that if you're not going to praise him, the rocks will cry out in your place. Amen? That if you're not going to worship him, the trees will sing before the Lord. And guess what? I don't want a rock crying out in my place. Amen? I hope you don't want a rock crying out in your place because here's the deal. Only you can offer God worship from your heart. Nobody else can do that for you. People can teach you the word. People can, you know, do other things for you, you know, as a, as a believer. But here's the thing is nobody can worship God for you. That is an offering only that you can give to God while you're here on this earth. Did you know, church, that in this time that we have, you see, once you get to heaven and, and, and we step through the pearly gates and, 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 you know, we walk into the course of heaven, worship is a 24-7 thing. It never ends. It's, it, it's an eternal thing. Why? Because God is eternal and he's always worthy. And so right here and right now, in this moment, when life isn't perfect, when the enemy's attacking you, 
when, you know, your, your job, you know, is, is, is on the rocks because they're cutting hours, when, when life is, is, is throwing you different circumstances, this is the only time, listen to me carefully, this is the only opportunity that you will have to give, you worship, to give God worship that costs you something. You see, once you get to heaven, it, it, it's a automatic, it's like a default. Once you're in the presence of God, like forever, there's nothing that will hinder you anymore, right? And Satan is eternally defeated, and, and you're in the presence of God. There's, he, he's not up there bugging you, amen? He's not up there distracting you. He's not up there trying to discourage your life. You're not going to face sickness anymore in heaven, amen? You're not going to face despair anymore in heaven. In heaven, it, it, it's perfect, it's glorious, and it's fully the presence of God all the time. But here while you are on, on earth, you will be challenged to worship the Lord. Amen? And for many of us, when we hear bad news, a lot of times bad news will cause your initial response to, to you know, retract, you know, based on your, the emotions of your flesh instead of a belief in faith. A lot of times when people get bad news, they say negative things. Right? When you get bad news in life, you say negative things, you begin to doubt, you even feel like giving up. And many times as believers, we allow the enemy to take our worship and our song captive. We allow the enemy to somehow get his grips uh, upon our worship and stop us from ultimately giving the Lord praise. You see, and if there's anything that the enemy wants to steal from your life, it's ultimately to steal your worship. Let me prove this to you. Matthew chapter 4, verse 8 says, Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. He said, All this I will give you, he said, if you will, what? If you will bow down and worship me. Jesus says to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. You remember, church, that Job, you know, the enemy was allowed to strike Job's family and his possessions and his wealth to see if he would curse God and if his worship would stop. You see, what was happening, it was, it was, it was to see if his faith was genuine. And when you endure circumstances in life, a lot of times when the enemy sends an attack, ultimately it's because he's trying to disprove that you are a child of God. He's got a case that he's working against you in heaven. He's trying to say, they're not who you think they are, God. And just like he went up to, to, to the heavens and he actually had a conversation with God in Job chapter 1, we see that he goes to attack his life to stop him from worshiping God. And after losing family and losing friends and losing possessions and losing his business, the Bible says in Job 1 and verse 20, it says Job got up and he tore his robe and he shaved his head and then he fell to the ground in what? In worship. He fell to the ground in worship and he said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I will depart. He says, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away, but may the name of the Lord be praised. Jesus was in the desert for 40 days fasting and enduring temptation. 
This is what we see in Matthew 4. And the third and final temptation that the enemy brought against Christ was for his worship church. The first temptation was about the bread, you know, and the, the second temptation was about, you know, giving him, you know, you know uh, the public pleasure and, and giving him, you know, high power and things like that. And here we see that he tries to rob him of worship. Why is he trying to rob Jesus of his worship? Because the enemy knew that if he could capture the allegiance of Christ to bow before him instead of God, then he would have a chance at victory. He would have a chance to slide in and steal and stop Jesus from fulfilling the plan of God for his life. Now, isn't that like the enemy church to try to give power and wealth and popularity in exchange for your worship? You see, it, it's, it's, it's deceit and lies that the enemy will feed your life and my life. He'll feed you things. And, and, and if we notice what he offers to Jesus in Matthew chapter 4, he promised Christ the inheritance and the kingdoms of the world. Now notice something here. The enemy is offering to Jesus something that actually belongs to Jesus. But if you understand deception and you understand the way that the enemy works, we need not forget what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians, that the prince of this world has blinded the eyes of unbelievers. The prince of this world is Satan. Just in case you haven't read that scripture, the prince of this world is Satan. That means that there is actually a realm of authority that he can operate in here on earth. So there's things that he can offer. If you've ever watched a movie or you've seen people in Hollywood, you see movie stars and, and actors, actresses, you know, famous uh, musicians or singers, you see that somehow they rise to this, I, I, idol, uh, I don't know if idolic is a word, but this idol status in the world. And they rise to these great heights. Why? Because what they're actually doing is many of them have actually sold their soul to the devil. You might say, Pastor Duke, is that a thing? Yes, it's actually a thing. Why are they doing? Because they're compromising what they once believed. I could go on naming names, but I could tell you that many of the names of the famous people that you see that are glorified to this idol high status in the world were people that actually started in church. They were people that were actually worship leaders in church. There were people that come as sons and daughters of pastors. And there are people that actually, you know, were, were once in the faith. But because the enemy promised them something, he promised them money or popularity or fame. All of a sudden they traded it in so that they could rise to this status. But yet the one thing that they have forgotten is no matter how high they get, no matter how high they reach, they have ultimately forsaken God. And God will stop every single person that does not bow down to his name from entering into the courts of heaven. The enemy was after the worship and the allegiance of Jesus. And he's after your worship and he's after your life. And the enemy lies to us all the time, church, to compromise our allegiance and our worship for false promises all the time. Drink this and, and you'll be accepted. To all the young people that are, you know, in college and things, oh, you know, do this and you'll be accepted. Do what everyone else is doing and you'll find belonging. 
Get involved sexually with somebody because you know God, you know, God knows you need love. Bend your beliefs and stretch the truth because you know somebody that's done this. These are all lies, church. They're all lies meant to take you away and to make you stray from the truth. And they're all ultimately meant to steal your song and rob you of your worship. Do not let the season that you're currently experiencing in change your song. Do not let the trials that you face in your life remove your heart from worshiping the Lord. Because it's from the place of giving all worship and all adoration to God that sets the stage for the miraculous. You see, when you begin to worship the Lord, everything changes. Amen? When DJ was leading worship tonight, he, I, I could tell, you know, uh, we have conversations about stuff like this. But sometimes, sometimes it's like when he's encouraging you to lift your voice, it's not because he wants you to sing so he can hear you. He understands what's at stake in the moment because the moment that you speak the name of Jesus, everything in here will change. You see, I realize that the moment, is, it's, not about, it's not about this. It's not about anything else. It's ultimately you engaging with the living God so that the atmosphere of your heart and the atmosphere of the room and the atmosphere of your life would begin to change. When I call upon the name of Jesus, no matter where I'm at and no matter the circumstance that I am in, everything changes, church. Everything surrenders to the name of Jesus. Did you know, church, that no one said, you know, you know they went up to Jesus after Jesus gave teaching or warning about religious hypocrisy and they ever shook his hand and said, thanks, Rabbi, that was a nice talk. Nobody did that. Scripture shows us this. Nobody went up to Moses after the thunder and the lightning and the loud blast of the trumpet at the foot of Mount Sinai and said, how come we're using trumpets? Nobody does those things. Think about this with me, church. Nobody came up to Solomon after the ark had been brought to the temple when it was surrounded by the cloud of the glory of God and said, you know what, this cloud of glory thing, it's keeping the priests from getting their job done. See, nobody says that. Because when the presence of God begins to move and the glory of God fills the temple, the automatic response is people on their face giving all glory to the Lord. When the Lord begins to move in the presence and the weightiness of the glory of God begins to move, the automatic response for the believer, for the, for the Christian, for the person that bears the name of Jesus is to bow down before him. It's to, it's, to, it's to be in the presence of God and know that you're not worthy to be there. Know that I can offer him nothing to say like, Lord, I, I don't even know how it is that I'm here. But I probably would have said, you know, like Peter on that day when he saw, he saw Moses and Elijah and Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. And what did he say? He's like, dude, let us build three shelters. I don't want to leave this place. Like, let's build a tent, Jesus. Like, it's going to be perfect so that we can stay here forever. See, when the presence of the Lord begins to move, that should be the response of our heart. That should be the response of our life. And on the other hand, though, our human nature, our flesh is what it is. Sometimes we have so many, you know, you know responses and thoughts during a time of worship. Some of you might be thinking, well, why did they choose that song? Well, it's too loud today. Or it's too, it's too soft. I like it louder. 
It's too cold. It's too hot. Why'd they use the lights? Why is that big thing up there? What's happening in that moment? What is going on in that, in that, in that minute? Is that people are getting preoccupied. Do you know that when the Lord began to speak to Moses on, on Mount Sinai, when the Lord was downloading the Ten Commandments to, to, to Moses, guess what the people did while they were bored? They built a golden calf. Yeah. Yeah, let's build a golden calf. Let's worship this. And they convinced Aaron, who was left in charge and left behind, they convinced Aaron, hey, this is a great idea. You know what? Build this in the meantime. Let's find something else to rob us of our worship. Let's do this in the meantime because Moses is up there talking to God. That sounds like a great plan. And what is the enemy trying to do? Again, he's trying to rob people of their worship. Do you know that David's wife was a little, you know, bothered by the fact that he got a little too Pentecostal? You read that in scripture, right? The Bible says that David, he became undignified in his worship. That is, he, he, he lost himself for a moment re, being reminded that he is a king and he was a king at that time. And, you know, kings are probably, you know, pretty modest people and they carry themselves a certain way. And they, when they walk in the room, they walk a certain way. But David, in that moment, he, he had no robe. He had no crown. He had nothing. All he had was his exuberant worship for God. Because he knew who the Lord was to his life. There's always going to be somebody that's going to judge your worship. Did you know that? Last night we had a night of worship and it's fitting that I'm talking about worship tonight. This wasn't my plan, but thank the Lord for the word. And we had a night of worship and there were some people that were there that uh, they attend different churches. But they bless me every time I see them. They bless me. I, 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 I see them worshiping in the Lord, and they just bless me. And there's this one particular girl, and she does, like, uh, the flag thing at, at her church and her ministry. And I, I, I you know, was worshiping the Lord, but I, I saw the replay uh, on, online, and, and I saw her just giving Jesus, like, a thousand percent. I was like, man, like, that's so beautiful. Like, it's so awesome. Why? Because... That's between her and the Lord. That's her giving him the response of her heart, saying, Lord, I will dance for hours for you, Lord. I'll bow before you for days, Lord. I'll sing. I'll lose my voice for you, God. You know, all these things. Why? Because, Lord, you're worth it all. The point of Scripture in the, in the writings of Scripture is that when God shows up, the people get blown away. <laughs> when the Lord shows up to the scene, the people are blown away. They hide their face. They get like radiant light bulbs. They beg for mercy. And they even say, Lord, away from me because I'm a sinner. You see, when the Lord moves in a powerful way, the people, they, they, they want to keep their distance between them and God because, because, you know, they even told Moses, they said, let God speak to you and we'll listen to what you have to say. They wanted to distance, distance themselves between them and God because they didn't want to die in the glory of, of God. And worship church can change everything in your life. It's not only giving him who is worthy what he deserves, but in the exchange, we become more like him. We become more like him. And so you might ask yourself, how do we keep worshiping the Lord in seasons of difficulty? Well, there's a few things that I want to share with you in regards to keeping your song. 
You see, in regards to Satan trying to steal the worship of Christ, the first thing that Jesus said in Matthew 4 and 10, Jesus said to him, he said, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. You see, in order to keep your song, you need not dance with the devil. What does that mean? That means that you do not entertain Satan. You see, a lot of times we get that whisper in our ear, we get that, that news, we get that gossip, we get that slander, we get something that's told to us in order to become a distraction in our life. And in that moment, church, we have a very, very critical choice to make. We can either sit there and listen to the voice of Satan, or we can do what Jesus did in this passage of Scripture. And he says what? He says, away from me. I hope that you realize that as a child of God, there is an authority that Jesus has given you upon your life. Amen. I hope that we realize that, that we don't just sit there and take what the enemy is offering us or, or listen or lend him our ear. Because, because if we lend him our ear, then what else will he get from us? When we lend him our ear, it ultimately, the seeds that he plants in our ear will infiltrate your mind. And when they infiltrate your mind, they'll infiltrate your heart. You see, we have to understand something, church. We've got to stop him in his tracks the moment that we identify him in our life. How many of you know, church, that, that what goes unaddressed, it will never be solved in your life? Some of y'all got backyards that are burnt crisp right now. Because you didn't put the hose out there because it was too hot to take it outside. So, hi, pastor, it's too hot. I don't want to go out there. But what goes unaddressed is going to stay that way. When the enemy plants a seed in your heart and in your mind and something that he puts in your ear, it must be dealt with immediately. Amen. It must be dealt with immediately. That means that you, you remind Satan and you say, no, 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 hold on a second. I don't know about you, but the, the enemy sometimes, like, I'll get in the car with my family and be driving down the road and the enemy will just, like, put a flash in my mind like we're going to crash or something. I'm like, I rebuke you, Satan. I rebuke you. I stop you in your tracks. But you know what? There's other things that sometimes the enemy will put in your heart and in your mind that you're not so quick to rebuke. Mm. Some juicy gossip about that sister in church that just started attending. See, that stuff we tend to lend our ear to because we get a kick out of it in some kind of horrible way. In today's culture, we, we say that you sit down and, you know, spill the tea or whatever they say. You know, it's like, ooh, somebody's got some tea about somebody. Like, let's, let's sit out and chat. But at the end of the day, it's still Satan. The fingerprints are still the same. The word and the source that it's coming from is still the same. And as a child of God, we must operate the same and say, away from me, Satan. Christ was tempted to compromise his ministry, his mission, and he was tempted to secure the world without the cross and without paying the price. Think about that. He said, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. I'll give you everything, Jesus, if you'll just bow down and worship me. And Jesus knew as a son of God, he knew the mission. He knew what he was going to have to endure in life. And the enemy always wants to deceive us into believing that the easy path 
The path of least resistance is God. Oh, just do this and you'll be blessed. Just, just, just follow that. Yeah, yeah, go for it. You're going to be fine. He wants you to not have to take up your cross and pay a price. Amen. He was tempted to choose another way instead of God's way to achieve his purpose by another route. He was attracted to use the wrong means for reaching the end of universal sovereignty. If he bowed down and worshiped the devil, the kingdoms of the world and the loyalty of men were to be his. And Jesus had nothing to do with it. He said, away from me, Satan. And I need to remind us tonight, we need to stop entertaining the enemy. Amen. We need to stop bargaining with him in exchange for our souls. And some of you might ask, Pastor Duke, how am I doing a deal with the devil? You are dealing with Satan when you collectively weigh the option of the temptation with your belief. I'll say it again. You are dealing with Satan when you collectively weigh the option of the temptation with your belief. That means that you're, you're actually pondering the thought and saying, hmm, all the kingdoms of the world, that, that, might, that might be nice. Oh, the, the nice job. Oh, the big house. Hmm. Yeah, I've always wanted a big house. I, I can do a big house. Nice car. Yeah, let's do a big car. Yeah, yeah. All those things. That's, that's what I want. That, that's what I desire. And what happens is, is we're entertaining the enemy. We're entertaining something that he's placed in our life. And there's something that's profoundly hypocritical about praising God for God's mighty deeds of salvation and cooperating at the same time with demons of destruction, whether by neglecting to do good or by actively doing evil. Some of you are more willing to cooperate with your employer's instructions about keeping your religion and faith to yourselves than you are to obey the word of God. Because God knows you need a job, right? Or how about taking the bait of being silent on the issues that the enemy is using to attack your children, our families, and our church? Is it better to say nothing and blend in or stand for truth and righteousness and be labeled an outcast, a bigot, a racist, a hypocrite, and and all the more? Because here's the deal. Real men and women of God always took less because God was more. Real men and women of God in Scripture, the apostles and and the men and women that the Lord used to to write this book that, that we now have ingested into our life, these real people of God, they always walked in the path of righteousness because broad was the path that led to destruction. Real sons and daughters, church, are always willing to carry their cross to be buried in death like Jesus so that one day they'll experience his resurrection power. Come on, somebody. Hebrews 11 and 24 says this. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, he refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Verse 25 says, but he chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Wow. And it goes on to say that he regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. You see, that's what faith is. 
Amen? That's what faith is. It says it, it doesn't matter what I could accumulate in this world. If it's not of God, I don't want it. Lord, I only want you. You see, the compromise of the teachings of Christ is something that we'll all also see. This is, a, this is a way that the enemy wants to infiltrate your life to rob you of your worship. Colossians 2 and 8 says this, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. What is the teaching here? What is the compromise today? Here's the compromise. Is that people will sooner take their children and their families to churches that aren't preaching the gospel, but at least they're sitting in a comfortable arena. People will take their children and their families to churches that, are, that have nothing to do with Jesus, that aren't preaching about Jesus, just so their kids can get babysat in the back of the church. Or they'll go to that church because service ends on time. I don't know about, that was a good point, Pastor Duke. I, I, I think you're doing good. I'm just going to encourage myself tonight. What does compromise look like in Scripture? I'll teach you. Matthew 26 and verse 14. Then one of the twelve, the one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests. And he asked, what are you willing to give me if I hand him over to you? You see, that's what compromise is. What can I get in exchange? I'll do it. Just tell me what's the number. What are you going to pay out for my life? What are you going to offer me if I give in? What are you willing to give me if I hand him over to you? So they counted out to him 30 silver coins. And from then on, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand him over. Judas Iscariot sold out Christ for cheap. Did you know that? The 30 silver coins was equivalent to four or five months wages. And sometimes we sell ourselves out. And we give in to the temptation. We give in to the, to the attacks of the enemy for much cheaper. For what? A moment of lust? For what? A moment of compromise? For, for to not be liked by a coworker? To, to, you know, just be in good standing with certain people because we're unafraid to open our mouth and tell the truth. I'm reminded of the scripture that, that teaches us that says that if we're going to fear anything, that we should fear the Lord. Amen? Shouldn't fear what man could do to us. Shouldn't fear what you know, society will say about us. But we should fear the Lord. Why? Because the Lord is the one who can destroy both body and soul in hell. Did you know that? That's what the word of God teaches us. Jesus gave the illustration of what a man needs to do in order to save his life. And he said this in Mark 8 and verse 36. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet, what, forfeit his own soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? And the reason that the Lord mentions this in verse 37 is because people that bargain with the devil are being deceived. 
people that are, that are compromising in their faith are being deceived. It started in the garden with wanting to have the mind of God and be full of knowledge, and yet it still happens today. And the point that I'm trying to make is do not compromise and receive death, but hold on to the promises of the Lord. Amen? You see, to hang on to a promise of God could, could take you uh, your entire life to, to receive one promise. Amen? It took Moses, uh, you know, uh, I'm sorry, Abraham and Sarah like 80 years of their life, you know, to receive a promise. It's a long time. But was the Lord faithful? Yes, he was. Amen? The Lord showed himself strong in that moment. Now, I know that I'm going a certain direction, and I know you're looking at me. What does this have to do with worship, Pastor Duke? I'm glad you asked. I'm glad you asked. Because what controls your life is what you worship. I wish I could get a head count tonight because there's actually a really good number in here tonight. But sometimes it's not always that way. Why? Because what controls you actually has your worship. I'm thankful that the Lord gives us opportunity. He gives us money, responsibilities, jobs, careers, and all the like. Those are a blessing to our life. Amen? It's a blessing that you have what you have, what the Lord's provided for your life. But it should never supersede the Lord. If you spent 8, 10 hours, 12 hours at work today, but you've given God 10 minutes of prayer, what do you worship? If you live a lifetime of, of just seeking to gain things for your family and do all these things, you know, in, in your life, then, then the genuine question is, is, what do you worship? What are you worshiping? What or who makes decisions for your life is who you worship. I'll say it again. What or who makes decisions for your life is who you worship. What you give the most of your time to is who or what you worship. And the enemy knows this, church, that if he can deceive the people of God into compromise, he will ultimately snatch their soul. But rather, the people of God must stand on the word of God. Amen? How many of you stand on the word of God in your life? I pray that the word is the foundation of which you've built your life upon. Amen? But here's the deal. When we stand on the word of God and we remind Satan that no matter what he offers your life, it is written that you will worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Amen? That no matter what he offers your life, and just like Christ, the enemy will leave. You see, the moment that you rebuke the enemy and you say, listen, Satan, I'm not, I'm not going to deal with this. I'm not going to listen to what you have to say. And by the authority of the name of Jesus upon my life, you must flee. And he will flee. I've seen it. I've had it happen in my own life. And you can command the enemy to flee, amen, from your life. And here's the, the most beautiful thing is the angels of heaven will attend your life. Because when you live to worship the Lord, even in the midst of trial, you will find the hope that his word says in Psalms 119. I love this verse. Psalms 119 verse 50 says this. My comfort in my suffering is this, is that your promise preserves my life. Your promise and the promises that God has made concerning your life, it's what preserves you. What does preserve mean? It means that you're going to last. Amen? 
It's like the can that you have in the, in the pantry at your house that, like, if you open it, the green beans are still green after, like, 100 years. They put preservatives in there. Amen? They're not the best thing to eat, so I encourage you to wash off your canned vegetables, okay? That's my tip of the day. But here's the deal. If you've been believing the Lord for the spouse of your future, if you've been believing the Lord for the job of your desires or the renewal of your spirit, a breakthrough in your finances, good health in your body, or deliverance from sin, his promise preserves your life and not the false promises of the enemy. Amen? The second thing I want us to, to learn is this. is Let's read that scripture again. Matthew 4 and verse 10 says this. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written. Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and the angels came and attended him. And so in order to, to keep your worship and to keep your song, we have to know the author and the finisher of our faith. Amen? We have to know the author and the finisher of our faith. Not only did Jesus know the word, because so does Satan, but here's the deal. What made Jesus overcome and keep his allegiance to worship God was this, the fact that he knew the God of the word. You see, there's a difference by simply saying, I know what the word says concerning a matter and, and actually knowing the God of the word. You see, the personal relationship that we always talk about is what is most necessary. Jesus had a perfect and personal relationship with the Father. And we too, as sons and daughters of God, we too must have a daily relationship with the Lord. Amen? That's not that I just know the word, but I know the God of the word. I've sat down with the Lord, amen. I've dined at the table with, with the Lord when he set a table in the presence of my enemies. I have history with God because I know the Lord. I've been places with the Lord. The Lord has spoken to my heart. He's spoken to my life. That is knowing the author and the finisher of your faith. It's not enough to recite scripture because other religions do that, Amen. It's not enough to just simply rehearse something. It's not enough to simply say the words of Scripture because even the enemy can do that. The only way the word is effective is because of our personal connection to it. And Jesus proves this because he knew the author. John 1 and 1 says this, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Amen? John 1 and 14, The word became flesh and made his dwelling amongst us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John chapter 1 and verse 17. For the law was given through Moses, and grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. All of these verses are pointing to that great connection of the Trinity, God being three in one, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And when you know the author, church, we know him when we are obedient. Amen? We know the Lord when we live in obedience to his word. You see, it's the sons and the daughters are the ones that live according to the Spirit. Amen? He didn't give that title to anybody else. He didn't give that title just simply because you attend a church. He gave that title to the ones that were obedient to what he said concerning their life. John 10 and 24 says this. One day the Jews gathered around him saying, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are Christ, the Christ, tell us plainly. And Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you did not 
believe. He said, the miracles that I do in my Father's name speak for me, but you do not believe because you're not my sheep. He says, my sheep listen to my voice. He says, I know them and they follow me. He says, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish and no one can snatch them out of my hand. Verse 29 says, my father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one can snatch them out of my father's hand for I and the father are one. You see, we're known by the Lord through listening to his voice, through listening to his word. You see, you're known by the Lord that when you sit down you know, at the midnight hour and you open the pages of this book and you read what the Lord says over your life. You read the promises of God. Like, look at this. I opened up to Isaiah 59, verse 21. It says, as for me, this is my covenant with them, says the Lord. My spirit who is on you will not depart from you and my words that I put in your mouth will always be on your lips and on the lips of your children and on the lips of their descendants from this time on and forever, says the Lord. You see, that's having history with God. That when you open, I don't even want to call it a book because it's so much more. But when you engage with the word of God, with the words that have been spoken from his life, they have so much power, church. They carry so much power. And you're known by the Lord when you inhabit this place. You're known by him when when you can open scripture and you can recall Isaiah 59. I remember where I was when I read the beginning of Isaiah 59. I'll never forget this chapter. You want to know why? Because it was in a moment when the enemy was trying to rob me of my life. I've shared this testimony with you before, but for the first three years of my life, my wife minister to me. That's how I knew she was the woman that God had chose for my life because she began to preach to me before God ever called me to be a preacher. But in one of my moments where I literally said something to the effect that I wanted to just give up. And sometimes the attacks of the enemy push you to that brink. You just want to give up. You're just like, I can't take this. I'm in a war zone. Lord, I'm, I'm, I don't know how to handle this. I feel like I'm getting stabbed and beaten and hurt. And, 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 and I just, I didn't even know how to handle it. And I remember she shared the first portion of this verse to me. that said, surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, nor is his ear too dull to hear. And just that first portion it spoke the power of that one verse over my life you have no idea in that moment when I wanted to leave it all that one verse church 
just breathe life back into me. Just saying, hold on a second. His ears not dull that he cannot hear the cries of my heart. His arms not too short that he cannot save me. Surely he could save me. And I just needed to hear it in that moment. I just needed to come back to that place where I knew him and I listened to what he had to say. Jack Hayford said this. He said, worship changes the worshiper into the image of the one worshiped. Amen. When we engage with the Lord in his word, when we engage the Lord before him in his presence, it's, 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 a, it's something that's so transformational. It's something that's so, you know, you know it, it brings something upon our life that, that we can never do on our own. And I believe the Lord wants to bring us back to the stillness of actually being still and waiting on the Lord. Be back to that place where we don't get anxious and try to run in a direction just because we have time to do so. I believe the Lord wants to bring us back to that place where we're, where we're not just entertaining these ideas and these offers that are offered to our life because it makes sense in our head. There's a lot of things that make sense in our head, but it doesn't mean it's the will of God for your life. Amen? There's a lot of things that you could dream of and say, you know what, this is what maybe I should do with my life because, you know, it makes sense. You know, it, 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 it'll work out. I, I, I'm trusting that, that that's what, you know, the Lord is going to have for my life. And listen, the, the, the difference is this, is that you might have a good life, but you could be completely out of the will of God. And how do we know the will of God? We know the will of God, church, when we're in the word. When, when we do what Romans, you know, chapter 12, verse 2 says, that we don't conform to the patterns of this world, but we are renewed in our minds. We're transformed in our thinking. That only happens when you're in the word. That only happens when you worship the Lord, amen? That is your obedience to the author in his word. It changes your worship into submission to his will. You see, when I worship the Lord, it's not about the song that is being sung. It's about submitting myself to his will. It's about coming to that place of saying, God, I need to do and live for you the way that you desire that I live for you. Lord, I need my life to be in submission to you because I don't want to take control of it. When I take control of it, Lord, I go to the right, to the left, Lord. I go all directions but towards you. And that posture of worship, that posture of humility, it brings us back to that place where we ultimately submit ourselves to his will. The point is this, is to know the author and preserve your song. And the last thing that I'll say is offer your life to the Lord. What does that mean? Matthew 4 and 10, he says, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. That means the days of our life that we live in a way that we've given sacrifice to the Lord. That no one else can replace his place in our life. No one else could replace who he is in our life. Not that we ourselves could do anything certainly to inherit eternal life. That's not what the scripture is teaching us. It's not telling us that we're going to get a free pass from difficult seasons. But rather we submit all that we are to the will of the Father. And when we do this, Satan must flee. Because he's eternally defeated through the work of the cross. Amen? He is eternally defeated by what Jesus has done for your life. And Satan can no longer live out the will of God. But Matthew 16 reminds us that the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with the angels 
The Son of Man is going to return, and it says, and he will reward each person according to what he has done. Sometimes we think our actions don't matter, but they do. Amen? The life that we live, the choices that we make, the decisions that we make, the people that we, we hang out with, associate with, sometimes we think it doesn't matter, but it does. And he said, I tell you the truth, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. This means that when our whole life lives for Jesus, we have the opportunity to see him in glory one day. Amen. And in this season, I believe that the Lord wants us to fully give him our heart. He wants us to give him our mind. He wants us to give him our soul. He wants us to give him our strength. Deuteronomy 7 verse 9 says, Therefore know that the Lord your God is God. How many of you know that the Lord your God is God? Amen. How many of you believe that with your being? Amen. He says he is the faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commands. And so as I ask you to stand to your feet tonight, I want us to make our prayer tonight to be set and decided in our hearts and firm in our faith that we will not give the allegiance of our hearts to anyone else but Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. Join us next time for another uplifting message. If you'd like to support this ministry and the reaching out of others, you have the opportunity to give at rockofagesaog.org give.